Hey everyone, welcome to Dev Educate. I'm Kamran Ayub. Today I'm joined by Dale Meredith. Dale, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Excellent. Well, for folks who are hearing you for the first time, do you mind sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So, wow, it kind of goes back a ways. I, I was a Microsoft trainer back in 1998, or I still am, and did a lot of the classroom training stuff for years. And I got introduced to ethical hacking by EC Council and just really fell in love with it. Did that throughout the United States. I did some education with, or some training opportunities with the U.S. government. I'd love to tell you about those things, but I can't. <laughs> You'd have, you'd to, have kill to kill me. Yeah. Yes, I have to kill you. <laughs> um, but let's just say that the Homeland Security was involved and again, just loved it. Uh, I also uh, had an opportunity to start up my own ISP service out in my rural community where I live. And Man, talk about a, a a training quickly in cybersecurity. I definitely got that, and uh, continued to to teach cybersecurity, do consulting work, and now my primary job is I create courseware for Pluralsight primarily, um, uh, on the cybersecurity end of things, as well as yeah, I just finished my first book with PacT Publishing this year on cybersecurity too. Oh, sweet. I will definitely include a link in the show notes for that. Do you want to give the audience a little bit about what is ethical hacking? Because I'm sure we have our ideas about what hacking is, but what what is ethical hacking? You know, that's a great question. I, I get uh, some interesting looks when I travel. I'll be on the plane and I'm that annoying guy that probably sits next to you that starts up a conversation when you want to be left alone. But you know, a lot of times the conversation goes down the road of, you know, what do you do or where are you going? And when they get to asking me, so what do you do? I say, well, you know, I, I teach ethical hacking. And that has such a, what's the word I'm looking for here? Oxymoron to it. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks it's ethical and hacking. So the concept behind it, first of all, I always like to get across to my learners as well as anybody who will listen is that Hacking is not necessarily bad. Hacking is just simply getting a piece of software or a device, or in some cases, a human to do something that they normally wouldn't do or that they weren't designed to do. And when it comes to ethical hacking, what we're trying to do is I relate it to, I'm trying to turn you into a criminal profiler because in <laughs> order to catch hackers, you've got to think like them. Mm -hmm. And so that's my main goal is to start uh, having everybody or the, my, my viewers and listeners and readers to to think in that aspect. And unfortunately, that has a downside to it because over my years of, of being in that mindset, I get paranoid. <laughs> and that's part of, I guess, part of the attributes of, of doing that. But it, it's okay to be a little paranoid. Sometimes it's uh, black helicopters. Uh, and other times it's, it's, it's nothing. So it's, it's always good to be aware. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the concept between, uh, behind ethical hacking is just basically learning how I, I like to call them attackers because hackers is such a, like I said, I, I'm a hacker because I, you know, I, I once hacked my Xbox so that I could play my games without using the DVD. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, that that's an okay thing to do. Yeah. But anyway, I, I want people to understand how attackers think so they can better protect their organizations is my goal. 
Yeah, I. it's funny that you said that hacking has that sort of negative connotation, but I feel like I just been, I've been hacking my whole life because like you, I play a lot of games. And when I was a teenager, I was tired of losing at games. And so <laughs> you could download these things called trainers and they were executables that would run in the background. And I, and I don't know exactly how they work. I'm sure what they did is they looked at the memory addresses that the the game was executing in and they would just poke at the memory addresses to change the logic in the game so if you were playing like i was playing first person shooters and they didn't have a built-in way to do god mode but if you poked at the right memory addresses you could give yourself unlimited health or you could give yourself new weapons and like the people who created these trainers are like geniuses to me being able to figure out like what memory addresses are changing as the game is running and then poking at the right ones but that that is hacking because it's it's doing something that the game was not designed to do yeah absolutely in fact i always go back to my my early days my one of my first computers was an apple 2c which oh man it's it's <laughs> it, it had a whopping like 512k of memory in it but i played a game called might and magic and I, again, going back to that hacking aspect, I would actually get in using a hexadecimal editor and change my attributes of my characters so they'd be totally maxed out and then go play the game. Mm -hmm. And and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing all kinds of things. I mean, uh, folks are hacking their smart devices now, not, not to be evil, but just to get it to do something that it normally doesn't do. Yeah, they, there was something I did when Android first came out. And uh, I wanted a different, basically like a different OS. And there right. were there were different operating systems available that you could get. So I installed some. And now I use a Google Pixel, so I don't do that anymore. But that was <laughs> one of the benefits of like, okay, well, I don't want to use an iPhone because I can't change anything. But with an Android, it was open source. So people were creating all sorts of stuff to, uh, right. to customize it. Cleaner operating systems for Android. Yeah, exactly. You know, ran. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. Well, I invited you onto the podcast because your ethical hacking courses caught my attention early on. When I joined Pluralsight, um, I had not seen your courses, but very, very quickly, I learned that you are the Batman. And <laughs> when I when I checked out your courses, you have a, a really strong sort of like branding and theming uh, with Batman throughout your courses. And I was just hoping that you could sort of talk about what inspired you to become such a fan of Batman in the first place and how you incorporated that kind of into your education and your courses. You bet. Um, it, it is my favorite subject next to hacking. <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems so, applicable. Like, yeah, it seems applicable that you it, know, it would be Batman. It really, it really does when you think about it. I, I usually ask the question when I speak at conferences. I'll say, you know, because I am known for my addiction. And, of course, admitting that I have an addiction is my first step to recovery. <laughs> but I'll ask the question to the audience, you know, of all the superheroes, why do you suppose Batman? And... I get all kinds of answers, but the answer I'm always looking for is he's a normal guy just with cool tools. Mm. You know, he doesn't have his special powers is his brain or his thought process. He is the greatest detective. Sorry, I'm going to sidebar here for a second. One of the, the funniest answers I got from somebody uh, in the crowd was uh, you witnessed your parents murdered in an alley too. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh -huh. Um 
So that's uh, my love for Batman goes back to my childhood. Obviously, I, I I did grow up with the old Adam West. My father was in the movie theater business, and so I got to see a lot of movies for free, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed who Batman was. I got into collecting the comics early on in my teenage years, and still even today, I, I collect the digital versions. But I, I just love the aspect of how he's always trying to protect, mm-hmm. protect those who he loves and he does whatever he has to do. So when it came to to training, this kind of goes back to my old Microsoft days, you know, they always had examples. And when I teach, I, I like to cover different aspects when, when I'm trying to teach. I want to make sure that people, I understand there's visual learners, there are people who just want the facts, and then there are people that learn based off of example. And so I, I tried to cover those things. And when I got into the, when I was teaching for the Microsoft courses, they had these stupid organizations. I shouldn't say stupid, but just organizations that weren't realistic. And so I started playing with Wayne Enterprises and it just became so natural. And of course, I'd create user accounts in Active Directory. And so it'd be, you know, be Wayne and you know, his path, his password was obviously Batman and did all the different DC superheroes. And that has just been a part of how my teaching style, I guess. It, in fact, so much so that I've actually purchased the name Wayne Enterprises here in the state of Utah. So <laughs> that's my business, or that is one of my business names. Awesome. So yes, it is a problem. That's awesome. It it, <laughs> uh, it goes back to, like, I like to talk about storytelling and how important that is even to developer education, because like you said, it we're so... I feel like we're so used to these kind of plain, plain type of examples that uh, it's just really nice to infuse your code examples and education with like more narrative type, like engaging stuff. And that's what it seems like the Wayne Enterprises and the <laughs> the Batman theming allows you to get get fun and get creative in your courses. Yeah, I do have to. I do have to be careful. I've had some conversations with Plural Site Legal mm-hmm. because of using back in the old days when I first started off with Plural Site, I may have used some images that were too closely related mm, to yep. the DC world. Mm-hmm. But again, there's nothing wrong with. I mean, Gotham is just another name for New York in in some circles, and and of course, there's a Bruce Wayne or two out there in the world, and so I've kind of skirted the rode the fence as far as making sure that I don't infringe anywhere, but everybody gets what I'm trying to talk about when I say, you know, Dick Grayson, Clark Kent, you know, Alfred. Yeah, exactly. And how do you think about branding in terms of what you're doing with, with Batman and the theme? Because for branding, if you're not familiar with the term, what immediately comes to mind is just like, oh, well, that's the Batman logo. So Dale must have like the Batman logo all around his stuff. Is that what you mean by branding? But that's not exactly what it is. I think one of the best uh, explanations of branding I've heard is like, it's the touch point. It's every single touch point your customer or your learner has with your material, with your marketing or sales material. It's how it makes them feel. It's not just like what what it looks like, but the language you're using, the tone of voice you're using, the examples you're showing, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what does it look like to incorporate 
like the the Batman branding or the Batman theming inside of your courses? Are there just lots of Batman clip art everywhere or how does that actually work in practice? No, you know, I, I don't focus in on the actual imagery. I, I focus more because of some of the limitations that we might have as authors with the slides and, you know, what we can and can't put on. I do more of the references to Batman when I'm doing demos. And it's interesting, you you mentioned branding. I've often thought of branding as being, what's another word, in, integrity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So when people come to watch my course I, I or courses, I've always prided myself on making learning fun. I, I, I call it um, edutrainment in the aspect of I've sat through, oh my word, I've sat through courses, live courses, as well as you know, online courses before where I'm just like bored to death. And I'm like, (laughs) get get to the point or Mm -hmm. very dry. And I think that's what I try to do with bringing my love of Batman or of the Gotham world and is to try to make it entertaining. And it's been interesting. I've, I've actually done some demos and I've only had one student so far catch it out of the thousands of, I should say, tens of thousands of people that have watched. And in my example, I actually did a screenshot of a hash value of a password. And I had a viewer go through and take the hash and hack it, you know, to expose the password. And he laughed. And I I actually sent him a an Amazon gift because gift card because he found it. But it was the password was I am the night. Nice. And, <laughs> and so I, you know, I like to just make things fun, entertaining. Um I once read an article and it stuck to me uh, still to this day. And it was back 20 years ago. And the article was, and we've probably all heard this before, but when we can associate an emotion to learning, it sticks with us longer. And so if I can get you to laugh, you're going to remember it. And I do that even in, speaking of branding, I do that in my courses. I try to, I try to keep my dad jokes to a minimum but if I can get you to laugh while I'm teaching you something that's pretty intense, you're going to remember it. And in fact, when you go to, if you're going after a certification, I've had students come back to me in the past and say, you know what? I was taking the exam. The question came up and I actually laughed out loud because I remembered what it is you said. And it made me remember immediately what the answer was. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I think that's important when yeah, it comes to, to branding. Absolutely. And we actually kind of explored this topic in the second episode with Joe Joe Eames, where we're talking about making dev ed stick. And we went through some of the concepts in the book, Make It Stick, The Science of Learning. Right. And it's such a good book, but it talks about the learning pyramid and how you, when you teach something, it's about a 95% retention rate or 90%, some, somewhere very high up there. Whereas passive learning, like reading something, is very low retention. But uh, I haven't gotten to the part where it there's there's something around the storytelling or the humor aspect. Maybe it maybe it's the the idea that humor creates a metaphor that makes it easier to remember. There's something there, yeah. just like you're saying, where you you're combining like a a feeling, and that is making you remember. I think that if you're the listener, one good way to think about this is think about how you feel 
or what memories you have associated with your favorite music. Because I can think of a few songs, and when I think about that song, I know exactly where I was during some moment. I was listening to like some 41 and I'm like, yeah, I remember being in my 1998 Toyota in the parking lot of my <laughs> high school and it was on the eve of prom or something like that. And I remember that moment whenever I hear that song, there's, there's, so there's, I think there must be some science behind that, that I'm going to uncover at some point, but yeah, there's definitely something there. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> agree. It seems like that when there are, you know, pivotal moments. Sometimes, again, I go back to that whole emotion thing because everybody remembers where they were when something tragic happens and we see it. You know, Everybody remembers where they were uh, on 9-11. I remember where I was when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. Or did he? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, we're not going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, you know, those things, because they're associated to an emotion, I, I really think when you, when you discover what the science is, let me know, because I, I 100% agree is that the best way for people to learn is not to drill the information in over and over and over, but to create. And that's why I love creating scenarios where it's, you know, uh, listen, Bruce Wayne has his new laptop and he needs to make sure that, you know, he can get in remotely. Dick Grayson is back at, you know. Uh, Wayne Enterprises and, you know, what does Dick Grayson need to do from that look? You know, so you build a story and that has a tendency of catching people's attention because they want to follow the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, so, I mean, we're, we're hardwired for stories. That's for sure. Yeah. And we've been, we've been sharing stories since the beginning of time. And that's what, that's what we use to communicate. And yeah, there's feeling inside of that. I remember a good quote and, but I'm going to mess up who it's credited to, but it was, People don't remember what you say, but they do remember how you made them feel. Yes. Um, which I, I take into conference talks a lot, but yeah. the same same sort of idea applies to kind of all the the learning, especially when it's audio visual, like when you're speaking out loud. Right. But but even in like tech, technical writing, I've been collecting more and more examples now of visual storytelling, being able to explain concepts in a way that's a more engaging than, you know, simply text on a screen, but, but more conceptual type of visual modeling. I, there's examples that I have on my, my mailing list, but yeah, there's, yep. there's just so much to, so much to the, to this branding idea because it, it does, I feel like it definitely cr makes it stick more, but I was wondering in your experience have, as you sort of already alluded to it, but do learners connect with it? Do you feel like much better than what you've maybe seen over time and in the past? Yeah, I, I really think so. And my only evidence to this is that I'll have people watch my ethical hacking series, and then they'll watch some of my other courses that are outside their realm. For example, they'll go watch, I guess it's still cybersecurity related, but they'll go you know, watch anything that I release and they're just excited. They're like, ah. Oh, Thanks for releasing this course. Or I'm excited to see your new course come out. So I, I got to think that whatever magic sauce I'm using, it's it's working because, matter of fact, I, I have a lot of developers who will go and watch. I have a, a secure software development course at Pluralsight, and they start off watching that just because, you know, many times it's their company forcing them to watch me. <laughs> <laughs> 
but after they get done, I'll, I'll see them over in some of my other courses going, this is so cool. You know, I, I never knew, um, about, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm excited to learn more about cybersecurity, even though my main function job right or my main job right now is developing it, to me, they're, they go hand in hand, but a lot of people don't make that association until they get to the point where they're learning about it. And so, like I said, that's my only evidence is that seeing other people or seeing people come into my other courses that normally wouldn't be there. Yeah. Well, and we can even take this episode, like this episode as an example, because it's very meta. It's like, if I was thinking of who I should talk to that I know who clearly has some branding elements in their courses. And I was like, I, rem- I know Dale because oh, there, when I, when I think of Dale, I think of Batman immediately. And uh, my job here is done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I think there, there are a few elements to that that are relevant for the audience, because when I think of Dale, I think of Batman, that is positioning in action. That's a positioning marketing strategy. And even though Dale, you might not think of it as a marketing strategy. It is because if that makes it super memorable to your ideal buyers, which would be learners, really, in this case, they don't, they're not necessarily buying your courses, but they are watching it. And then the aspect of branding is I expect when I listen to Dale or I watch a course from Dale that it's going to have, it's going to be fun because that's, that's your brand. That's how you're making me feel. That's my expectations. So there was a really good little daily post by Seth Godin, who I've followed for years and I, I really like his stuff, but he he's all about brand marketing, right? So one of his daily posts very recently was like, don't try to measure brand marketing necessarily, because as soon as you start to look at the numbers or you're prioritizing, looking at metrics, that's not really what brand marketing is about. It's It's very hard to measure brand marketing, but you know it, like you can feel it. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to is like, I don't, I don't know that I've gotten a 25% increase in the amount of viewership of my courses because I do Batman, but I can feel it when I talk to people or I see the evidence and it's there, you know? Right. So I think that's, that's one thing I wanted to sort of do a sidebar on for the audience. So because you were doing, you were incorporating some of this Batman type branding in your education earlier before even coming to Pluralsight, how do you think businesses might incorporate their own branding in their developer education? Or have you thought at all about that? Wow, I haven't, uh, man, to be honest with you, I haven't thought about that one. And I think it's the reason I'm asking is I think it's because branding has been so individual, like as a course creator, you know. Dale, you have your own type of branding, but when it comes to like a developer relations program within like a product business, uh, we sort of leave it to kind of the individuals that are writing. And we don't really talk about how could we incorporate our brand and our positioning and our marketing as our strategy and flow it into our developer education. You know, the only thing I can think of or what comes to mind, and I I don't mean to push Pluralsight, but Pluralsight's one of the first companies that I've actually ever worked with where branding is part of the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I think of Pluralsight, there's expectation for a certain level of communication, uh, production value. It, 
they've just built into their their ecosystem certain types of branding. I, I and I don't know how they do it, but like I said, it, it obviously is affecting me because as an author, I have I have this certain level of expectation uh, when it comes to plural site. I, I think it might be hard for some companies because of their sizes. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're like a big international company, that might be a hard thing to try to achieve. But yeah, that man, that's a that's a great question. There's probably no sort of clear answer besides that. Like when I work with my clients, I do I try to take that into account, and I've been I've I've seen evidence of it. For a lot of companies, the one that immediately comes to mind is Twilio Quest. This was a a game that Twilio created, and and it it incorporates their branding in a, both a visual way, but also the feel, just like I was sort of talking about, where you can learn web development concepts within the context of this game, and it also does include like near the end, like how to incorporate or how to build stuff with Twilio. So a pretty effective sort of marketing tool, but that's one example. You can incorporate the branding of your company in different ways. It could be through the examples. It could be just the tone of voice of the the articles. I think it's just, you know, having us having a strategy in the first place when you're creating content for your company. You mentioned that you like to make your learning fun. Like in what, what other ways do you, do you try to do that? Um, so initially I started off with, I, I may have gotten carried away over the years with puns, but think what has happened, what that causes is that I get tons of people on LinkedIn responding to me saying, man, you just, again, you made me laugh. You caught me off guard. That was great. Yeah. I also get the folks that are like, stop with the dad jokes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what, that's, that's just part of my personality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- there are things about everybody that, you know, that they have faults and stuff. And so I, I try to, I've tried in the past year and a half, I've tried to pull things back a bit, but that's the one thing I try to do. And then again, in the examples, when I start giving examples or doing demos and stuff, I just try to give them the feel of when it comes to cybersecurity that one, it's overwhelming, but two, it's okay. You can't be the master of everything. And so let's try to focus in here on this particular uh, step or this particular concept and then really, really explain it. Again, I, I go back to that aspect of, you know, give them the the factual information and then give them a scenario and then show it to them. I think that really helps out as far as the learner is concerned because you'll cover almost every type of learner out there. The person who just wants the facts, mm-hmm. they'll get that. And the visual person, I'm a visual person myself. I have to see it before I truly understand it or I have to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I empathize with those people too, because there's been a lot of times that I've taken courses. I'm just like, don't just show me the script. Let's actually run it. You know, <laughs> Let, yeah. let's see what it does. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of, my 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 style and then just uh, i guess especially when it comes to these types of courses online courses you don't necessarily get to see the presenter all the time and not that anybody would want to see me but the voice fluctuation 
making it, you know, if I was just sit here and talk to you about how TCPIP, <laughs> I mean, you just get bored. Yes. And so it's part of that storytelling process is emphasizing certain words or certain statements and getting excited when something exciting uh, yeah. that people can feel that. Exactly. There's actually, there was a really interesting article I just saw. I'm going to have to find it. I did not save it, but that was the, the, the point was when you're writing, either you're doing a, you're just, you're doing your writing on paper, you know, writing on text or you're writing a speech or something like that. You vary the rhythm and the tempo of your words to create this like musical effect where you're starting and stopping, you're introducing like tension, you're introducing this variety. That was something that I don't think I ever did in my very first course, but I soon learned that I needed to do that because otherwise I was literally like I was giving talks and I could see people falling asleep. Yeah. And so I started to make a joke where it's like, you're either going to learn something new today or you're going to have a great nap. And either way, it's going to be a win-win. But uh, that was when I realized that, okay, I need to get better at telling stories. And part of that is in the delivery and also in, in writing too, to to vary the length of sentences and stuff like that. I'll try to include a link to what I found there, but uh, but that's, I think, speaking to, to what you just said. Yeah, a absolutely. When I was teaching some Microsoft courses, there was one particular training facility. I was pulling a double. So I was teaching the same course in the morning and then in a night shift. And talk about having deja vu all the time because, <laughs> uh, you know, you're thinking, did I just teach this? Did I just, you know, it feels like I already said this. But those night classes, exactly what you said, I would see people either clicking their mouse, which told me they were playing Minesweep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just dated myself, didn't I? <laughs> but, you know, they're playing Minesweep or Solitaire instead of listening or they were dozing off. Mm -hmm. And I had to get their attention very quickly. And so that was one of my first learnings as a, as a trainer, as a presenter is making sure sometimes it's just engaging them, you know, John, what do you think? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, always calling, uh, interacting because once you start, hey, I think this is always fun. You can't do this in a, in a video course, but you know, in a live presentation, you call somebody out, everybody else in the room is all of a sudden panicking. So they're like, Oh, is Dale going to call me next? Yep. <laughs> you know, but you can't do that with, with these online courses uh, as such, but uh, you can do it in different ways. And and that's why I said, I, I, I just love catching people off guard or even all on purpose, teach the wrong thing and be like, I'm just kidding you folks, uh, you know, <laughs> just to get their attention because yeah. there'll be like, people will be like, wait a minute, that's not right. And then when I tell them I'm just teasing, they're like, Oh, okay. God, he got me. He got me. You know, so, it makes them perk up. I, I love that because it's an example. I, I've talked about this a little bit before, but it's the act of creating tension, and which is which is it's core to any kind of storytelling mechanic. Anytime, you know, any type of even like marketing and copywriting, tension is what makes makes it juicy. And uh, and what you've just described is a way of creating tension with programmers and with developers, because right. as soon as they start to get a whiff of like, oh wait he's doing something that is totally wrong and I'm going to correct him. That's creating tension. And then you, you, and then the key is that you have to relieve the tension. You have to, you have to do the, oh, I'm just joking with you. Here's what we're actually doing. And that's a really fun sort of actionable tactic people can use. 
And then the the other thing that you were mentioning, because you've you uh, tend to incorporate puns and and humor, which I'm a huge fan of, but I'm not the type of person that can kind of create a joke on the fly. I just I'm not an improv type of person. Maybe I need to take some improv classes. But uh, do you happen to you know script out your courses? How do you approach sort of writing humor into your courses? A lot of it comes from just the experience of having taught the content for years. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, here's here's my my learning tip of the day for everybody. If you want to learn something, teach it to somebody. Yes. It'll force you to learn it. Absolutely. But when I first started off with Pluralsight, I didn't script anything at all. I would turn on the mic. I had my I used my PowerPoints just like in a in a actual classroom environment. I don't have a script. You know, I, I'm not going to read out of a courseware book because People aren't paying me to do that. And so I just use the the slides to remind me of what it is I'm going to be talking about. And so you have to be pretty confident in the information that you're delivering at that point. It very, very quickly becomes evidence that you don't know what you're talking about if you can't do that. The past year, though, because of the transition that we're starting to see on the online courses, Back in the back in the day, I, I think one of my first courses was seven hours long. A lot of it was, you know, demo and setting things up, but the learner wants more information faster, get to the point. And so I've had to adjust my teaching style. Part of that is kind of pulling back on some of my my humor and, and Batman references as of late, but I still get them in. But my I do script some stuff now and it actually makes my editing process go a little bit faster. Because I I don't mess up as much or the wrong word doesn't, you know, in a live environment, the wrong word comes out. You can correct yourself on the fly and you can kind of do that in a, in a recorded course, but it's much cleaner and more to the point. You can take out your uhs, your ums, your pauses like I'm doing right now. So it, it has changed for me in the aspect that I do like to script things. But even then, I'll see the script. I'm recording now with live video. And so I have a teleprompter and my teleprompter has a hard time. It's voice activated and it's kind of cool because it'll keep right up with me. But there's a lot of times that just a thought will come to my head and I'll go off script. And of course, my teleprompter goes crazy at that point. <laughs> I just know where I'm at. I always, I figure I might as well do that because it, it's kind of like the, what do they say on the, with social media, people can tell when you're being authentic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if a thought comes to my mind, if I have to edit it out and post, then I can do that. But I'm going to go ahead and get it out. And sometimes the thoughts come too when I'm, I'm when I write. Me grammar no good because <laughs> I I write like I talk, and uh, I'll have somebody review my script and they're like, "What are you talking about here, dude?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's so much different to script. It's been a, a challenge for me because of, I just love teaching from shooting from the hip. But again, that ends up being creating longer courses, which isn't necessarily what the viewers want. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear kind of the differences between how how your experience has been and the way that I've noticed my courses evolve because I'm almost the opposite where I have this, maybe it's a limiting belief, but it's like I do a poor job of doing articulation at, uh, during the moment but I have a very strong kind of writing ability. And so what I noticed is that a couple of my first courses were 
just like you said, they're off the cuff. They had some brief notes in the PowerPoint in the deck. And so as I was recording, I would just kind of wing it. And that just led to hours and hours of editing. It was just really <laughs> terrible. And as soon, as soon as I started to write, that is the way that I articulate. And so even hosting, you know, this type of podcast where I'm talking, uh, talking to people, it is, it's hard for me, but I do think that it just comes with practice. If you do just been doing it a lot, then you probably get better at that. But for sure, I've noticed uh, that my talks and my courses get so much better when I can articulate it ahead of time and I write it down. And then, then it's just a matter of delivering it in a way that doesn't seem too forced, you know, doesn't have that sort of, I'm reading from the presentation, you know, type of style. But but that's that's something that's a skill and you can learn that. And we had talked to Xavier in a previous episode, or I think it was actually Jason Elba, maybe it was somebody in an earlier episode, and they were talking about hiring like a theater coach to to coach oh. them through, you know, being able to do live video better and, and being able to improve their delivery style. So that's definitely a skill. Yeah. But it, it pays to it pays to pay attention or understand like what is the best method for you to get your thoughts and articulate them. So I think, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I do have some fun bonus questions. Well, I really just have one bonus question and maybe also I have my own little Batman anecdote, but first I was going to ask you, wait, wait, what's my yes. reward for the bonus question? The <laughs> there's no reward. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. You get you get undying gratitude, and you'll you'll get some really good laughs, maybe from the audience, and it'll be it'll okay. Be so, has anyone asked you, Batman versus Superman, who would win and why? Yeah, I get that question all the time, and it's already <laughs> been proven in the canon that Batman has beaten him twice. So, I don't know what. To, uh, actually, I think there's a third time. Nice. So, uh, Dude, like, and, there's no question here. Yeah, there's there's no question. In fact, one of my favorite images, you'll have to Google it, but it's came from the comic book series. I want to say the the final oh, is that like the final I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, you caught me off guard, but Batman has a contingency plan for every single superhero how to defeat them and there's an image of him sitting on a throne with Aquaman's trident superman's cape wonder woman's rope where he's just the flash i mean he's he knows how to beat them all and again it goes back to you know just using his his brain but yeah he's, he's again that that just seems so fitting for someone who's trying to learn how to be an ethical hacker and trying to make sure that they anticipate all the attackers moves and, and everything yep. <laughs> yep, absolutely you couldn't i feel like you could not have picked a better like a theme to 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 be centered around yeah. Um, so the, I was wondering because your father worked kind of in the cine, cinema and movie theater industry, did you ever come home with those big cardboard cutouts of these superheroes? No, no. I actually, when I graduated from high school, one of my first jobs is I actually became a movie theater manager myself here in the Salt Lake area. And that that's about the time, of course, I'm going to age myself here again really fast. Let's see. It was at the time Little Mermaid was released. I think Little Mermaid was one of the first movies where they released, where they started pushing out the uh, uh, POP material for um, uh, cardboard cutouts. Up until that point, and matter of fact, I have in my in, – down in the Batcave, 
I have a collection of movie posters that I've got. I've got like an original painter wagon, which goes back to the early 60s, 70s, I think. Clint Eastwood scene. If you want to see him sing, go watch that bad boy. But yeah, so I've got a huge movie poster collection. Um, I, I did bring home some of those cardboard cutouts when I was a movie theater manager, but it's like, what do you do with them? Oh, um, so that's why I asked is yeah. because my little anecdote is that I think when my son was about three or so, uh -huh. my family, my, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law took it upon themselves to give us some cardboard cutouts. They gave us a Batman one and a Captain oh. America one. And they're, they're big. They're like, they're like seven feet tall. Yeah. And so we, for about two years, we set them up in his room. They were just there in the corner and we had to kind of turn them around or put them, put them in such a position that would not scare him at the beginning. <laughs> but then he, he got used to them. And then, then we needed to make some more room in his room. So now they're, they're downstairs. Uh, the Captain America one has bit the dust, but the Batman one is still here. Nice. We set we set them up by the the trampoline, and the kids enjoy sort of like playing with it and stuff. But <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. That's the that's my that's my experience with Batman in my house. I have to <laughs> I have to give you, share with you a quick story. My problem with Batman is such a problem that I'm gonna have to pay for my grandchildren's therapy as they get older <laughs> because they truly believe that I am Batman. I mean, I have a costume I've got, I've appeared at their, their birthdays and stuff. And mm -hmm. I've got one particular grand, I have one particular grandson who he's now six. He and I were building a, a he, he got me for father's day last year, a, a Batman Lego Batmobile. And so he and I were building it together and as we're building it, he had that little curious thought on his face. And he said, Papa, and I said, what? And he goes, you don't have to worry. And I said, why not? And he goes, when you die, I'll take over as Batman. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, I, I'm going to hell or I'm paying for therapy, either one. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> the uh, I was going to say something about, oh, you may, you're making me think of, well, so the Batmobile, uh, I've taken a look at that as a Lego set. I think my son would really enjoy that. But uh, the other thing was, have you played like some of the Batman video games? Because those are some of my favorite games, like Batman oh, Arkham Asylum. Yeah, the, the Arkham series are some of my favorite. Uh, unfortunately, it's a love-hate relationship <laughs> because I get motion sickness. Oh, okay. When Batman, when you have to crawl around in the air ducts, I get re. I have to have my son come in and take over because I can't. I have problems with those type of the first person shooter games or, you know, like, or even these Batman Arkham games when you're outside, I'm fine. But when I get in a hallway, like mm -hmm. I can't play call of duty to save my life because mm -hmm. I just, unless I take a motion sickness pill, but then I get sleepy. Yeah. That's, that's to take it up, like back to sort of a, a learning ability and learning style sort of discussion. The, there are a lot of people who have this type of motion sickness. There's for every single game that you play there, you can almost guarantee there's going to be a warning up front. That's like, Oh, if you have, this could cause epileptic seizures right. and, and things like that. It's, it's definitely something to consider when we're making courses, because I know that like one of the policies is uh, 
to kind of make sure that you're not introducing too much motion, like in the courses, because right. you right. you don't want to be the cause of that. But it's not not something that you normally think about because I I don't have that issue, so it's not top of mind for me. Right. But it's something super important to keep in mind. And we're well, I'm positive that I I would like to have an episode dedicated to like accessibility in course design and and oh, yeah because it's such an important topic. But the fact that you you brought that up just made me think about that. The other thing I was gonna, I was going to mention is that I can definitely see how your kids would believe that you're Batman because even you've mentioned that you started to do live video and I watched a few of your actions to your courses and the angle that you have and the whole setup that you have for your live video definitely makes it seem like you're in the Batcave. So yeah, I congratulate you on that. <laughs> why, why thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 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 part of that branding you know i did my acoustic foam blue and black oh yeah uh, nice you're super I, uh, detailed yeah yeah i everything i do is is i try to brand with the cut you know similar colors and stuff too i do the same thing on i have a here's my shameless plug I have a YouTube channel that's called Dale Dumbs It Down or Dumbs mm -hmm. IT Down. Mm -hmm. And if you go there, you'll also notice that our color schemes are black and yellow. And, you know, it's just part of the 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 Batman coloring. If we can, if we, you know, get away with as much as I can without getting a, a letter from an attorney for cease and desist or something. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dale, this has been super fun. We're on the last part the last segment, which is the drop an apple segment. This is your chance to drop some knowledge on the audience. Are you ready? Okay. All right. So what's one thing you wish someone had told you early on about creating content and education for developers? I wish somebody would have told me how much there, how much backend stuff there was. Teaching is one thing, but I didn't know I was going to have to be a Camtasia slash Premiere slash DaVinci. I've gone through several different editing software programs uh, and coming up with the right, the right uh, techniques. You know, I, I've always been used to just teaching and, and focusing on the content. And so if somebody would have told me, you know, you're going to also end up being an editor or getting involved with lighting. I mean, holy cow, I would have mm -hmm. never thought I'd been into, you know, cameras and lighting. <laughs> Um, that's all that's all relatively new to me. And so I, I will say this much. I, I love the one thing I love about my industry is I always tell people that it's it's not like being a plumber. You know, when you're a plumber, it's the same thing day in and day out. Here I'm always learning something and not just in cybersecurity, but when it comes to creating content for learners, I'm always looking at different ways that I can present material. So it's always making my my brain think a little bit outside the box. So I think that would probably be, if I could go back, is to warn myself that you better pick up some graphic arts skills. Nice. Yeah, that that's great. Great advice. And it's so, you don't think about that when you're initially thinking about, oh, I'm going to just create a course. How hard could it be? <laughs> right. It's like, you know, you look at YouTube influencers and mm -hmm. you're like, oh, they're having so much fun. You have no idea the nightmare that's on the oh, back. Oh, we are going to get into that in a... Upcoming episode, I have a friend who is a YouTube quote unquote influencer. He's grown his channel to great degrees and he has such a cool video production setup and we're going to get all into that. So that'll be fun. Oh man. But yeah, you're going to, you're going to get a peek behind the curtain of what it takes to, to do that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. 
So Dale, thank you so much. Where can people go to find out more to learn about you and what you're up to? The Batcave? Yes. No, besides the Batcave, you can visit, I mentioned before, my website, daledumbsitdown.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm one of those early adopters to everything. So my Twitter is Dale Meredith. My Instagram my, is Dale Dumbs It Down. My uh, YouTube channel is Dale's Dumbs It Down. So no, no special numbers or letters in my name or just Google search me. You can also reach me via my Gmail. And I don't mind giving that out because I've got so much of it filtered and I have other accounts for other things. So don't worry about it, me being spammed, but it's just dale.meredith at gmail.com. If you have any questions about getting into cybersecurity, please feel free to reach out to me. And same thing on LinkedIn. It's just Dale Meredith. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was super fun. Thanks for chatting with me today. Well, thanks for inviting me. I I, I always enjoy getting information out and I, I love the the platform that you're doing here to to help people learn more. Perfect. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dale. Here are the things I thought were worth pointing out when it comes to developer marketing and education. While ethical hacking is an innately fun topic just by itself, it's mysterious. It evokes a feeling of rebelliousness, of anarchy, which is kind of exciting. It's still serious business, but Dale has found this connection to one of his favorite superheroes that just so happens to also be the world's greatest detective. He can then infuse this within his content, creating more engaging examples of Wayne Enterprises, you know, instead of ABC Corp or whatever. Really, it provides an unlimited source of inspiration. The thing I want you to ask here is, for your product, can you personify its essence into an object or a character or something that you could use across your entire mix of materials? A DevTool example was actually all the way back in episode one with Todd Gardner. Todd created the sloth on a rocket for his web performance startup, and I can tell you that they put that sloth everywhere. It's very consistent, and it's fun to see in his presentations and conference booths. Intense emotions and feelings lock in retention. Whether it's remembering where you were when something tragic happened, or when a song triggers the memory of a past experience, there's science behind this. Scientists still don't know what causes this fully, but I've linked to some articles that discuss this phenomenon. The important part is this, evoking a feeling, whether positive or negative, will help developers remember you. Speaking of remembering, if someone falls asleep during your talk or while watching your video, they probably won't remember you, right? Varying your tone, rhythm, and creating a compelling narrative will help you create content that engages your audience. I've included a link to a chapter on vocal delivery as part of a free online public speaking course from Lumen Learning. One other tactic Dale shared he uses in his courses or talks for developers is intentionally teaching the wrong thing to create tension, build it up, and then relieve that tension in a humorous way. This works because many developers are attuned to correctness, and when something is incorrect or factual, it makes them uncomfortable and want to fix it, which gets them to pay attention. Speaking of paying attention, do you pay attention to the way you or your teams best deliver content to developers? I mean, for me, it's writing and presentations. That's a fact. And not to get too meta, but this podcast is an exercise in getting better at thinking in the moment, which has always been a struggle for me ever since grade school. Just like Dale said, I would clam up if I thought the teacher would put me on the spot. But I know this about myself, which means I can actively practice on getting better. So I would encourage you to think about how you organize teams to deliver the different mixes of content you have so that strengths are reinforced and opportunities are recognized and can be actively worked on. Remember that talent is only what you're born with. 
but skills can be acquired and practiced anytime. That's it for this week. I'm Kamran Ayub, and I hope you'll join me again next time for Dev Educate. If you'd like to get tips on removing barriers to adoption when scaling your dev tool, check out my blog at kamranayub.com daily. You can also reach out to me directly with questions or comments through my website or on Twitter at Kamran Ayub. I hope you have a lovely day.